Welcome to Philly Prime. I'm Dave Schratweiser. We are uh, joined this week by one of my good friends, my former colleague at Fox 29, a political correspondent for Fox 29 for 23 years. He's covered it all uh, in journalism for 40 years, a graduate of Northwestern. My good friend, Bruce Gordon, thanks for coming on the show, brother. My pleasure, Dave. It's been a while. Uh, we brought you on because, you know, you're the guru of uh, political races in Philadelphia, and we got maybe the hottest race in the country for district attorney in Larry Krasner versus Carlos Vega. It's big locally and nationally. Give me your take on that. Well, I think one of the most interesting things about it right now is that nobody really knows where this race stands. Uh, when you're talking about a national race and a statewide race, there is plenty of political polling that's done, and you get a sense of where the race stands. Quite frankly, nobody has any good idea of where this race stands. You in, you assume that the incumbent, Krasner, has the head up, the, the leg up on any race like this, but frankly, we don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, frankly, makes it a little more interesting, as far as I'm concerned, because yeah. it does tend to push you away from the horse race style of political coverage, yeah. and God knows I've done my share of that, and you're talking more yeah. about issues and real stuff than who leads by how many points and can somebody catch up and so forth. Haven't seen a poll by anybody out there. Now, I have heard some rumors that there's some, you know, polling going on by the Vega campaign, and it's, uh, you know, too close to call, but that's coming from the campaign. Right. Uh, but as far as the Inquirer or HYY or somebody else doing a poll, we don't see it. No. In fact, what's surprising to me is that normally you might expect to see some leaked internal polling from one side or the other. Right. Uh, that's been in non-existent, basically. Yeah. Uh, and so we really don't have a good idea. We know that Krasner has some vulnerabilities. There's no doubt about that. And we can talk about that uh, yeah. coming up. We will. But um, there's no question he has some vulnerabilities. There's no question that some of those who supported him vigorously four years ago uh, are not so thrilled with his performance in office. And so that makes this an, a, a more interesting race. But everything's wide open as far as what we know or even what we think we know about I think Vega race. has a shot here. I think he absolutely has a shot. He's a legitimate contender. This is not some gadfly out there uh, taking a shot at the incumbent. And look, as long as the murder numbers are what they are in Philadelphia, the district attorney is always going to take outsized blame for that. Now, it's this is the age-old question in politics when the, the murder numbers, and that's what everybody looks at. It doesn't matter that crime overall might be down. It's right. the murder numbers they look at. 190 as of today, up 39%. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, The numbers are awful. I mean, no, no other way to put it. The numbers are awful. And when their numbers are down, uh, folks like the police commissioner and the mayor and the DA certainly are, are happy to take credit. Uh, and when the numbers are up, then everybody's kind of ducking and pointing fingers and so forth. So the numbers are up right now. And that certainly does not help Larry Krasner's case. I would argue that especially in terms of the district attorney, it is probably not particularly fair to lay murder numbers at the feet of someone who doesn't even enter the process until after the crime's been committed, after the guy has been caught, and now it's time to put him on trial. Right, but he but has that is what it is. He has also said repeatedly that he's the top law enforcement officer in Philadelphia. Well, you're going to claim you're the captain of the ship mm -hmm. when the ship is taken on water. You have to take some of the blame for that, correct? Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Look, that's the way it goes. That's the way it works. And again, whether it's entirely fair or not, I mean, one of the things you hear over and over again, these numbers, and look, 
the numbers this year are worse than they were last year. The numbers right. last year were worse than the year before. There's no doubt about that. We are still in a pandemic environment. What we know, one of the things we know about crime, and especially violent crime, is that the uh, the victim and the uh, perpetrator usually know each other. There's often some kind of bad blood, a mm -hmm. feud of some kind, an argument of some kind. 62% of the murders are argument-based. Right. And when you basically have quarantined people and stuck them in their houses in their neighborhoods for the last now going on 15 months, it's not too surprising that those murders numbers are up. They are up, frankly, in many cities across the country. So having said that, though, my point is you hear often these numbers are the worst they've been in 30 years. Well, OK, let's go back 30 years mm -hmm. when they were in the mid 400s and higher in terms of annual murders. Mm -hmm. The district attorney was Ron Castile. And then the district attorney who followed him was Lynn Abraham. Now, right. is anyone considering those two soft on crime? One tough cookie. Right. Yeah. Right. One tough cookie. And they were in 19, let's see here, just pick a number, 1993, 437 murders. Now, Lynn Abraham would tell you, okay, but over the years, those numbers went down. They certainly did. They went down all over the country. Mm. In New York City, for example, we know murder numbers dropped dramatically. Yeah. And so... You know, how, my point is just how much blame does the district attorney get sure. for those murder numbers? Yeah. Mayors, you go back and look at the numbers. Now, who was mayor during some of these most violent times? Yeah. Well, Ed Rendell had some of the worst numbers in terms of annual murders during his time in office. Ed Rendell, 396. Frank Rizzo, second among the more recent mayors, 390 a year. Now, again, would anyone consider Frank Rizzo? Mm. Or Ed Rendell to be soft on crime? A former DA. I, I don't Ed think Rendell. so. Yeah. 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 So, you know, whether it's fair or not, that's that's the that's the numbers. That's the facts. Right. The perception is that people don't feel safe. And when they don't feel safe, they look at the mayor, they look at the police commissioner, they look at the district attorney. And they all have stepped to the microphone and said they understand that. And they understand why people are looking at them or pointing fingers at them and whatever. And, and they do come up with kind of what it is, you, you know, they're talking about Let's get back to the violence for a second. Sure. Let's, let's talk about promises delivered. Um, he talked about getting rid of minor drug cases. Sounds like he's done that. Mm -hmm. He talked about eliminating cash bail. He hasn't completely done that, but he's definitely reduced it, although he likes to say now that his office repeatedly asked for $999,999 instead of a million. Because uh, so that skirts one of the rules. That, yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and so he still mm -hmm. does that. Right. No death penalty. He hasn't sought the death penalty, even right. in police shootings. Right. Uh, and here's, let, me, let me make yeah, a quick point about yeah, a couple of those. He has delivered on what, a lot of things that he talked about. What's interesting about the cash bail is yeah. the, the most progressive, most liberal wing of the Krasner support system will tell you he hasn't gone far enough. Yeah. And he's made the claim, I, I believe one of his quotes was something along the lines of, you know, there are some folks out there who believe even a serial killer or a mass murderer yeah. uh, should be out on no bail. I'm not going to go that far. So no. there are liberals, there are progressives who, who don't think he's gone far enough right. uh, on that particular issue. Mm. Um, so there are, you know, you can get it. You got the incoming from both sides here in some yeah. ways. Well, generally, as a progressive, I think uh, he's probably met that claim mm, 75, 80 percent. Would you yeah, agree? I think that's probably fair. Yeah. yeah. He's not given them everything they wanted. Um, but they also then. So if you're a progressive voter in Philadelphia, you, you think about this and you say, OK, he's not everything we had hoped he was going to be. Mm. But he's in a new direction from what we've seen over the last, you know, 20 years, 30 years of, of DAs in Philadelphia. Yeah, and we'll get to the cases in a little bit. Let's talk sure. a little bit about Carlos Vega. 35 years as a prosecutor. I covered his uh, murder trial, mostly homicide, as a prosecutor, assistant district attorney. I, I've covered him in court. He's a hell of a lawyer and he's a hell of a prosecutor. 
And to me, he does seem like right now, we'll talk about Chuck Peruto later, a possible Republican candidate here, but right now he seems like the guy to go at Krasner, the right guy to make this race as tight as maybe we think it is. Correct? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I think there's no question about that. He's certainly got the chops. One of the questions that did not get asked, unfortunately, mm. uh, in what I thought was otherwise a fairly productive uh, debate, the only televised debate between the candidates, mm -hmm. was a question about Krasner's firing of Vega, that first sort of that, that first week bloodletting yeah. uh, that was detailed in the documentary. And let's be clear, I believe he has a lawsuit against Mr. Krasner in the office for that. Right. There's an age discrimination right. lawsuit and so forth. Yep. But right. So the question then is, you know, if you're the, the question to me for Larry Krasner is, did you find I mean, he basically laid out two possibilities when he fired all these folks. Mm. Either he thought you were doing something specifically wrong, improper, unethical, mm. or he simply thought you were a bad fit for the new culture he was trying to instill in that office. You right. know, a, a question to Larry Krasner at that debate could have been, look, you fired the guy standing right 10 feet away from you. Why did you fire him? Right. What was he doing or not doing that caused you to let him go? Yeah. Uh, and that could have been an interesting answer. And yeah, you also might have hid behind the lawsuit, too, right there. Uh, you know, but we'll see. But right. you're right. You're right. right. Why, why did you fire him? Right. I mean, if you look at Carlos's record, um, he was a tough-talking, hard-pressing, take-no-prisoners kind of prosecutor, especially on homicide cases. And right now, if you go out in the neighborhoods where I'm out every single day of the week, and by the way, so is he, knocking on four or 500 doors every day, wearing out those shoes— you know, he's boots on the ground on this. He told me the other night in a phone call that that's exactly what he's hearing in the neighborhoods, that they want somebody tougher on crime. The, the whole defund police thing, he says he's not hearing that in the Latino neighborhoods, Hispanic neighborhoods, in the black neighborhoods. That's not what he's hearing from the people who own homes and live in those neighborhoods. So he might just be the right guy to pull this off right now. Yeah. It, look, there's no question that— there is a delicate balancing act. Mm. And look, you know, Krasner has gotten lots of props, especially in the progressive community, right. for taking a new tact here. Because let's face it, for years and years and years, the district attorney's motto was basically, I'm going to get elected by saying, I'll lock him up and throw away the key mm -hmm. for a longer period of time than my opponent's going to lock him up and throw away the key. I'm right. going to give everybody 50 years while my opponent would only give him 30 years. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, Krasner came in saying, look, we're not going to do it that way anymore. And yeah. so being sort of the super aggressive prosecutor looking for every extra minute of prison time possible mm -hmm. uh, clearly was not what he was looking for. Yeah. Uh, and you can argue that one back and forth uh, all day long, but clearly he was looking for something different. And to the degree that he's gotten it, you know, maybe yeah. it's the old be careful what you wish for. Yeah. What would have helped Carlos uh, going up to this final kind of week into the election? What, what would help him more right here? More money to do TV ads? Would that help? Uh, we don't see Krasner on TV a lot there, and we can talk about the Soros money yeah. from or the lack campaign. Thereof, yeah. Or lack thereof. In yeah. 2017, there was plenty of it. Right. We're not even we're not seeing it, and we're not hearing about it. Right. So uh, does he not need it because he's the incumbent? Talk about the money part of this. Everybody could always use more money in a political campaign to run it. Sure, ads, right? to get yeah. your message out. I yeah. do think he missed some opportunities during mm -hmm. that one televised debate. Right. You're talking um, about Carlos Vega. Carlos Vega, yeah. right. Um, I think that one of the key vulnerabilities, and I think Krasner has actually got a couple, but one of the key vulnerabilities is his conviction rate on the cases he does take. Krasner's position is essentially 
I'm not going to take to court every two-bit little drug case and jaywalking case that my predecessors might have taken to court. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be more selective about how I enforce some of these laws uh, and so that we're not into this mass incarceration scenario. Mm-hmm. Fine. Yeah. But when you do take the case to court, you got to get a conviction. And there was an inquirer deep dive several weeks ago. Yeah, that sure. Suggested I was going to bring that up, but right, you did. So right, go ahead. Well, gun arrests in the city are up dramatically. Right. Police are taking guns off the street left and right. The actual conviction rate on those cases is less impressive than it frankly should be. Yeah. And that is an absolute vulnerability of Larry Krasner. The problem during the debate, in mm-hmm. my view, yeah. was that Carlos Vega came armed with so many statistics. You could see that he had a sheet of paper in front of him. He didn't want to forget the numbers, and that's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. But you've got to boil that down. You've got to work with someone in your political team to say, all right, how do we get across the message that right. this guy, even in the cases he's taking to court, are not? he's not getting the convictions. He's not getting the yeah. prison time for the really bad guys that he that he even he agrees should be prosecuted. Right, and what he and there was uses, a million numbers thrown out there. Yeah. Krasner bounced back some of his own numbers, and in the end, <laughs> I suspect most viewers and listeners were befuddled at what they heard, and yeah. for good reason. I've been at a couple of press conferences with Larry Krasner in the last month or so, and he likes to throw out that eighty-five percent conviction rate before the pandemic, because the courts were closed for a long period of time. Sure. There were hardly any hearings. If they were done, they were done by Zoom or Teams or whatever. So everything slowed down. We know that uh, 85% conviction rate. He's not talking about gun cases there, though. He's talking about serious cases. He's not separating out the gun cases. And let's talk about guns. 5,000 confiscated by the police last year. That's a huge number. There's many, many more on the streets of Philadelphia. They're looking at 6,000 probably at least this year. Mm-hmm. Their VUFA arrests, which are violations of the Uniform Firearms Act, a gun charge, if you want to go simple, are way up. They're like 1,300 already this year. And the question is, I looked at some statistics. I asked the police department to generate a couple of numbers for me for a story I was working on. 28, 29, 30-something percent of those people arrested on gun charges in the past year have a prior gun arrest in the last five years, three of which, four of which were Larry Krasner's I'm at the helm thing. So... The argument that you hear thrown by the FOP and critics is that he's the people who show up on gun crimes had a gun crime before. And look, they got out on bail because Krasner let him out. Is that a legitimate argument or what do you think about that argument? Well, it's legitimate to a certain extent. The problem with all of these numbers mm. is that you really do need to get to such a granular level, yes. such a case-by-case level, mm. that it becomes almost mind-numbing to look at this stuff and try to glean any kind of real pattern from it. Yeah. The one area, to your point, the one area where you can look at the district attorney and say, here's why they're responsible for some of the crime is if you can show in case X yes. that the defendant was not prosecuted particularly vigorously, mm. wound up with with minimal prison time, gets out and then commits another crime shortly thereafter, you can look at that and say, look, that's a product of the district attorney not doing his or her job. Broadly speaking, though, it is difficult to pin murder numbers and crime numbers on the district attorney because, as you know probably better than I over the course of your reporting career— I defy you to find a study mm. that suggests that the bad guys are out there sitting, you know, sitting around chatting at night saying, you know, I wonder if I ought to commit my crime over in this community or that community because I've done a deep dive into the, prosecution, right. or the prosecutorial strategies of that district attorney versus the other district attorney. And if I commit the crime here, I'll get six years, uh, but seven and a half if I— Nobody thinks that way. No, and they're Nobody not, and they're not thinking, thinking that way. That way if no, you, you talk, I was uh, with Bilal Quayem the other day who's a— uh, 
uh, anti-violence advocate in Philadelphia. He's probably the senior guy sure, in Philadelphia. For a long time, great, great guy, yeah. knows what he's talking about, talks about the argument factor big time here. And, you know, he says these kids are, the kids with the guns now, are so wound up and so keyed up and so angry about a lot of things that affect the black community, not enough jobs, not good education, uh, maybe not a father at home, uh, that kind of stuff, uh, not able to continue their education or get their GED, but there are some programs to do that now, um, that kind of stuff, that they're so wound up that they're carrying a gun. And sometimes they're carrying a gun because they're afraid if Dave Schratweiser shows up at the basketball court without a gun and Bruce Gordon comes has a gun and we get into an argument, you're going to pull a gun on me, so I want to make sure I walk away from sure. the basketball court. So I'd rather take a gun pinch than not be there with a gun. That's out there. That's kind of what the mentality is. Right. Jason, and that has nothing to do with who the district attorney is. Correct. That's the that, this is my point. <laughs> yeah. Jason yeah. Smith, the captain of the homicide unit the other day at a news conference said, these guys, meaning the criminals, need to take a step back and say, is this worth it? And say, every time I squeeze that trigger, there's a consequence. Bilal's point the other day was, do they even have the analytical skills to make that decision? And I suspect the answer is and, no. And I don't mean that in, in a— yeah, No, it's not a pejorative. It's, it's, no. It's, these are young people. I mean, there's a reason why the, number, the, the numbers are what they are. These aren't a bunch of 55- and 60-year-old guys getting into arguments and shooting each other by and large. Right. These are guys who are 18, 22, 25, maybe 30 15, years old. 16, right? 16 and, 17. And younger still, right. Yeah. But that's the, that's the age at which people do uh, silly things, and they do them on the spur of the moment— but they're not thinking about it. And that's why it, it kind of gets back to this full circle of how much blame do you give to the district attorney for murder numbers mm -hmm. when, but again, you've got to convict the cases that you do take to trial. And yeah. that's something where Krasner, I think is absolutely vulnerable. Yeah. And I think Carlos is trying to make the point that if he's the guy and he's elected, um, you will see better numbers. And that's kind of hard. You've heard I've heard the DA also talk about the clearance rate over at the homicide unit. It's 46 percent, according to Jason Smith the other day at a press conference. That's a little bit down from last year, but there's 50 more murders. So that would right. probably help drive that number down. I remember years when Jimmy Clark was the captain of the homicide unit and others. Uh, the number was 65, 68, 70 percent. Sure. And as you said, police commissioners took credit for that. Chuck Ramsey, uh, Richard Ross. You know, Richie Ross was the captain of homicide unit. The numbers were all so pretty good when he was in there. Right. It's a different ball game these days. And the police will tell you, with yeah. some justification, mind you, the police will tell you that these numbers are down in part because mm. they can't get witnesses to come forward got and help them make a case. But that same logic then holds to a certain extent right. in the prosecutorial realm, which yes. is, all right, now we're at trial and the key witness against Fred Smith here doesn't show up. Why? Mm. Because he's afraid, Fred, he's afraid that Fred Smith's friends mm. are going to come gunning for him. And, and that's, so yeah. that's a very real threat. That's a very real scenario that yeah. These guys are dealing with again jason smith the other day at that press conference said retaliatory shootings are what's driving this number up and listen i've been in south philadelphia the 29th street gang 31st street gang uh 13th and saigon is a is a gang that's a problem uh you go up and go out to west philly you got north side south side north side of market street south side of market street shooting it out in the 18th ask captain matt gillespie about that he was on this show mm -hmm. and they're shooting it up out there all the time you go out to east Division, the 24th and the 25th out there, same thing. 
going going at each other. Yep. There's groups all over, and when you shoot one of theirs, they're going to come back and shoot one of yours. A lot sure. of times, you hear people say, oh, "We're not worried about what the police do on this. We're going to take care of it." Right. Yeah. Right. It is it is street justice in the yeah. most basic form, yeah. uh, and it's hard to know how a program or a specific district attorney yeah. uh, is going to deal with. Yeah. That. You can't blame uh, Larry Krasner for. Two groups that have been fighting sometime in the north side, north south thing out in West Philly. That's been going on for decades, dude. Right, right. These are grandkids of guys long preceding his time in, yeah, in office. Yeah, right. so or, it, or anybody could, else's for that matter. You could take yeah. that off the table. Let's yeah. talk about one thing. He he promised also no death penalty. There's been no death penalty. You and I have had this conversation about the death penalty. It doesn't really have an effect. I'm not saying I'm I'm for it or against it. I'm not giving my opinion, but. Look at the numbers. It doesn't really drive down crime. No. It may give the perception it does, but it really doesn't. Right. You look at the numbers. In, in a literal sense, it's pretty obvious that if we put Dave Schratweiser to death for the crime that he committed, it's pretty obvious that Dave's not going to commit any more crimes. Mm-hmm. But if we also said we're putting Dave behind bars for the rest of his life, uh, then there's a there's a 99% chance he's not going to be committing any more crimes mm-hmm. under that scenario either. He could certainly kill someone behind bars in yeah. theory. But the bottom line is— this death penalty threat has been out there. Look, le- what Larry Krasner says or doesn't say about the death penalty is mm-hmm. almost immaterial. I yeah. believe it's been a good 20-plus years since the last time mm. anyone was put to death in Pennsylvania. If I'm not mistaken, wasn't that Gary Heidnick who, who yeah. at that point wanted to be put to death? There hasn't been right. a uh, someone put to death against their will uh, in many, many years. Mm-hmm. So it almost doesn't matter. Frankly, I remember a case, and, I, and I'm They end up dying in jail when they're well, in there for forever waiting for the death sure, penalty. Sure, and there's a million and appeals, oh, yeah. as there ought to be many appeals, because frankly, Absolutely. we've seen these situations mm-hmm. in which someone's on death row, and then it turns out that they're exonerated. Mm-hmm. My God, what a horrible thing that would be if you put someone to death and they yeah. were innocent. Um, but I remember a case that uh, Larry Krasner took some heat on, on all sides, and I don't recall the names involved, but maybe, maybe you remember better than I, Dave, when mm-hmm. he, put, he used the threat of the death penalty yep. to, to get a little longer sentence. What amazed me was that the defense bought that that line. I mean, mm. to me, that was a classic bluff yeah. in a game of poker. The idea that Larry Krasner was going to go after the death penalty right. when he had said he wasn't going to, frankly, I kind of give him a little bit of credit on that one for, mm-hmm. for playing the poker and yeah. uh, uh, and bluffing successfully. But look, yeah. the death penalty has been, again, it gets back to this idea mm-hmm. of if I get caught for my crime, what's the punishment going to be? I don't know. I don't care because I don't think I'm going to get caught. And yeah. if I do, what's worse than what? Getting shot on the street? Yeah. Doesn't, I don't think it has much of an impact one way or the other. You and I were talking yesterday a little bit uh, before the show. Um, last night we were talking about uh, the sensitivity to crime victims. Uh, he's taken a pretty hard rap for that, uh, that he's not sensitive, that he's not meeting with the families before he makes these decisions and things like that. You, though, have a little bit of a different opinion. Well, um, only, uh, only some, in, somewhat. Only in yeah. this regard. I think that is another area where he's vulnerable. Yeah. And look, when when crime victims or the families of crime victims, the family of Sarah murder victim comes out and says, look, we were kept in the dark. Mm. Um, we didn't know what was going on. A deal was made that we don't necessarily agree with. Mm. That's a problem for the district attorney. And that's mm. something that he's got to answer for. Yeah. Um, this is something where this, to me, seems like kind of an unforced error. Mm-hmm. There's only so much you can do as a district attorney about the murder rate, as we've discussed at length. But yeah. when you're talking about the simple act of keeping family members apprised of what's going on, mm. that seems like it ought to be a pretty basic element of what you do as a district attorney. Yeah. And to the degree that you fall short in that regard, that's a problem. Yeah. And, and the that's DA's a legitimate on, concern and criticism. The DA's office under the last four or five district attorneys uh, since I've been there. Uh, has a pretty good record of uh, their victim 
assistance program. They have somebody in the office get in touch with you after you are, your family has been victimized by the loss of mm -hmm. a loved one or the shooting of a loved one. And they walk you through the process. They hold your hand a little bit. Uh, they take questions. They communicate between the police and the DA and you. And, and, kind of, and, and their job is to make sure that you are pleased and that you are up to speed and that there are no surprises. And look, and, you're and, not going to always make these family members no. happy because, frankly— who, who would be? Right. Right? Right. Everyone, I lost a loved one no matter what you did. It's not going to be I, enough. I might it's not, not be bringing happy. them back. Right. And it's right. not bringing them back. And yeah. I want a million years behind bars for the guy who did mm -hmm. this to my family member. And yeah. so you're not necessarily going to make them happy. But at a minimum, yeah. they deserve to be kept apprised of what's going on. Yeah. And when that doesn't happen, it's absolutely a legitimate area of criticism for, for Krasner's right. office. Uh, Bruce, I'm going to bring part one of this to an end because we've filled it rapidly <laughs> and, uh, and with a lot of good information. And there's a lot more to talk about. So, folks, I want to thank Bruce Gordon for joining me this week. He's going to be back next Next week, we're going to have an episode coming out the day before the primary election next week. And we're going to have a lot of hot topics to talk about in part two. So, Bruce, thanks for joining us this week. My pleasure. And, uh, folks, we hope to hear, we hope you hear us again next week. Uh, it's been great having Bruce on the show. And uh, we're going to have him back again. We'll see you next week.